Hello everyone, the topic for today is SOW for Agile Engagement. I'd like to give a very warm welcome to our presenter today, Dr. Dave Cornelius. Uh, Dr. Dave is the Value Delivery Leader at BioRed Laboratories. He influences cross-functional teams to deliver amazing quality products to delight customers. Dr. Dave is the founder of the Five Saturdays program that empowers high school students through agility um, and innovation by providing learning experiences in technology and lean business. He is also the author of the book, Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way, and innovator of the game Agility Leadership. Dr. Dave produces a podcast on iTunes and Google Play titled No Sure with Dr. Dave and uh, can be found hosted hosting on uh, crogshare.com. Welcome, Dave. How are you doing this morning? Thank you so much for joining us. Hey, it's a wonderful Thursday morning. I hope our audience is having a good day today. Um, we have a good a friend of us hanging out with us named Dan Brown. Uh, Dan, uh, how, are, how are you doing? Good morning, Dave. Thank you very much. Great to have me on here with you all. I'm doing yeah. great. Two months in a row. So Dan is a business development executive at Technosis. He's also an agile enthusiast, a coach, a delivery leadership. Um, you could find Dan on LinkedIn and email. Um, you can see his inf information on the screen. Um, so you could, if you want to really ping him a lot, just send him an email at dan.brown at technosis.com. So we're going to get going today. And we're, I want to tell you guys that SOWs in the agile space oftentimes is a challenge for most people. So Denise, can you see my screen? I just want to double check that. Am I sharing? Um, give me a second here. I always have to double check because I can't Let's see. show my screen. Okay. Okay, magic. Is magic happening, there Denise? There you go. All magic right. Magic is happening. You're good to go. Yeah. I want to make sure that's going on. So. Uh, we're going to, I just want to tell you that, you know, business leaders, they have a, a tough time trying to wrangle this agile SOW statement of work. And also I find that even lawyers and people in procurement and the controllers, they, they want very specific things. They want things all written down and defined way in advance so they could mitigate risks. So in an attempt, you know, just from my experience, I wanted to really bring this to, to bear that, uh, you know, there are ways of doing this and being very successful at it. And that's why I asked Dan to join me as well. Um, so some of the great topics we're going to cover today is, you know, the types of SOW that's available, um, the benefits of doing an agile SOW. Um, we'll look at developing working agreements because sometimes it's really important to get those in place early. Um, look at the supplier customer responsibilities and just the anatomy of an Agile SOW. And Dan is going to help me walk through some of that because he does that day to day. And, you know, I've been on the receiving end and also been a, as, as a provider as well. So what are you going to learn today? So we want to make sure that you could get out of here and, and think about how do we um, develop SOW agreements so that we could have better Agile engagements. Um, the one thing that I thought about is, like, how do we get the vertical slice in? Because 
when traditionally everyone wants to lay out a, an agreement um, that's, you know, I, I guess sometimes 18 months, two years or longer, in a vertical slice could be as small as three months. And, and we want to just make sure that this allows us as a supplier and even as a customer so we could be more engaged in the process. So why, why do we really need an SOW anyway? Um, so, so a lot of people that I talk to, they, they want to make sure that they have agreements in place in the event of a lawsuit. And I'm going like, wow, that's just really a positive attitude going into a relationship that we, we want to worry about lawsuits before we even get started. Um, we want to minimize risk, and we want to maximize profits. So if I'm a supplier, I want to have, make sure that I have the best deal in place so I can make the most money. And the same thing as a customer. I want to make sure that I can get the most out of the relationship and the agreement. So these are some of the key things that people look for. And, you know, like I said, customers want to make sure that they get the greatest benefit. So as a... My experience with, with, with doing SOWs, I've worked as a supplier because I've been a consultant for a long time, and I've written many SOWs with different companies across the country. And my goal was always to maximize profits and minimize risk. The same thing, I'm, I'm a customer now, so I want to maximize outcomes and minimize risk. So there's a, a great symbiotic relationship between the two roles where there are things that I want that I think that's going to be always in the best interests of the company that I work for, or if it's my company or not. So let's, let's look at some of the things. So as a supplier, I've done, I've developed and presented these different agreements, negotiated rates. You know, I'm always time and material focused. I want to minimize risk. And I always want to establish an exit clause. How do I get out of this uh, in case this thing goes sideways? Well, also as a supplier, I have the same mindset. Um, I mean, I get a, an agreement, I review that. I mean, I want to negotiate rates. Um, I want to look at what are the different outcomes that's coming my way. Uh, I make sure that those things are, are the things that I need. I want to minimize risk and establish, and make sure I have an established exit clause. So you could see the, the two roles, they, they're kind of looking for kind of the same things. and and primarily it's looking at the benefits so Dan just jumping in here um, just give us a, a quick um, overview of your experience with um, dealing with with different agile engagements you know as you're just your supplier so why don't you take the supplier context and I'll be in the customer context I means absolutely and uh, you're absolutely right I think these these five categories are accurate you know, from a flat supplier perspective, which I've been in this type of role for you know, a good part of my 20-year-plus career, uh, is, is presenting these agreements, right, understanding what the needs are, what is, what is the outcome, what does success mean to the customer, right? And usually you want to define what that scope is going to contain, some of the assumptions, risks, dependencies, constraints, et cetera. Uh, and work very closely with that customer. Uh, as, as Dave, you mentioned, you and I have worked together as a supplier and you as a customer. And we've had great conversations to figure out what is that vision and how do we meet that and accomplish that for you. Uh, time and material uh, is, is certainly one of the easier approaches, the, the most preferred approaches, in my opinion, as a supplier, because it, uh, it, it, it minimizes those risks. There are some cases, and I know you'll talk about a little bit later, where there's some that are fixed seats. 
where you have to have a little bit more information. So we'll talk about a little bit later, what, how do you write an FOW to accommodate that? But at the end of the day, you want to make sure that both of you are successful and in a, in a, in a set up for success in a way that you can continue that relationship ongoing and uh, continue and extend FOWs to both so both can achieve what their, the key objectives are. All right, so so thank you for that input. So let's look at the four types of SOW, and these things have been around for a while. Um, so there's four. You know, there's a fixed price, right, where we know all the specs, we know we have a specific date, and if we want to make any changes, there's a fee. And as a supplier, that's a big risk in, in that context, right, because basically if there are any changes or, you know, things are not well-defined, well, you know, I may have to eat a few costs or may have to go back and have a, a change request or a change order where you have to pay, we have to ask the customer for more money. The other one is a target price where we also have fixed uh, specifications and date and there's a target price that we want to achieve. To achieve. And now th this is something that as a supplier, you spend time trying to negotiate exactly what that target price is. and there's some level of a shared risk in this model because even though we have a fixed spec and, and, and date, um, one of the things that you don't know uh, as a customer is like, well, you know, am I going to get everything that I really need and at the highest quality so they could have the great benefit? I mean, the third one is open, you know, the third one is this time and material. And this is the one that is, is most common where, you know, the specifications could be, you know, not as well defined, right? It gives you some room there. Um, it, the price is based on, you know, a, a, a person doing the work and the, um, the different things that you're producing. Um, but it gives some flexibility to the customer to say, you know what, this is enough. I've, I've had enough. I want to get off of here, off of this um, train. But this is also a great risk to the customer. Um, the fourth is like cost plus, you know, so also you have a targeted specs and date. Um, if there's any type of profit margins that, and you see this a lot in um, the construction phase and the construction business at certain um, industries like that where you have this type of cost plus um, type contract. And then also you, you also see um, a heavy risk there um, to customers. So, so Dan, of these four, um, which one do you really prefer if you have to pick one of the four? Uh, hands down, in my industry, which is IT consulting solutions, we prefer number three, the time and material. Because to your point, right, it's a little bit more flexible and minimizes some of the risks, and we can pivot where needed to support our customers and goals and solutions. By far, number three. Okay, awesome. So it's time for us to have a little group interaction, Denise. We wanted to see, you know, if we look at um, the, the type of SOW. So select the SOW type with the highest risk to customers. Is it A, time and material, B, target price, C, firm fixed price, or D, cost plus? What do you guys think? So Dan, as our as our group and our participants are are answering that question, um, any pitfalls do you see in in time and material, as we call T and M? Well, some, there's some pitfalls and certainly some learnings. I can do a quick share. I think 
you know, sometimes when you're going into a project, you still don't know what you don't know. And there are some assumptions you need to validate. As you progress through it, I think it's always important to have that open collaborative communication to the customers directly along the way. Uh, and if some of the project starts to burn hot, as there's some high demands and people are trying to figure out each other as we're you know, through the storing phase, especially in early sprints in the longer agile framework uh, 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 roadmap, uh, it's important to communicate the times you've invested, how much time you're burning along the way, so there's no surprises at the end, especially if you're going above your original estimated amount. Most excellent. So, Denise, um, how are we doing? Yeah. Ah. Well, I mean, the, the correct answer is really A, because that's where we have the highest amount of risk um, to the customers. Um, and so, Dan, would you agree with that also? There's a lot of risk for that, right? The risk has shifted from the supplier to the customer, and I would agree. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, about 50% think time and material, so, or 46. So, the highest number wins. Um, so, let's move along to, to our next slide. Um, so, here are some of the conversations that I've had with legal and controllers and procurement. You know, the things that they want is like, we must list every feature in the SOW, even though, you know, you may not know all of that information up front. They, they think that you have to do it. They said every feature must have a specified end date. Well, when do we know we're going to get that this widget? Well, you know, I work in software. So obviously in software, the widgets sometimes shift and has a different shape than the, the original intention. And so they need to know that so that they feel comfortable. Um, and then you so, well, how do we know when done is achieved? Well, you know, you try to explain to them that we have a definition of done and a definition of ready, but no, no, that's too loosey-goosey, you know, not, not tight enough. The other thing is, is that, you know, we have to protect ourselves against litigation. And there, I said, there we go again. The only thing that we want to think about is being sued as opposed to how do we build a stronger partnership and relationship with, with, with our vendors or suppliers. I mean, Dan, could you add one or two to this list? Sorry. Uh, yes, yes. I think you're, you're, you nailed it. Conversations legal, VMO, vendor management office, uh, like to have as much detail as possible. So what do you have to do, right? And when, what, do you, what can you commit to uh, that when they're not familiar with an agile environment, they're used to more waterfall projects, requirements, and so forth. So how would we know that? Uh, we don't. So working with them and also building that relationship with those are almost just as important when you're initializing your statement of work than you are with uh, your actual buyer in itself. Uh, and I think you have to put yourself in their shoes, but also, again, have a, some type of clause where you can uh, have some flexibility to make sure you, you can have some of those adjustments and pivot to meet the customer's needs, but also satisfy the legal controls procurement requirements. That's correct. Correcto. So traditional versus agile. SOW. And, and so when we look at the attributes of a traditional engagement, we think of it as, you know, it's fixed and it's based on milestones. Um, any type of priority changes, you know, you need to go through a change order and get that approved by many, many stakeholders. Um, there, there's some high degree of trust um, that the supplier has to have in, in, in terms of 
I need to buy into the fact that the customer themselves who are involved, uh, you know, can specify that information accurately enough. Um, we know we try to define all of the outcomes up front, which, which we know that's impossible. And in most cases, they're large and sometimes even long-term. You know, I say nine to 18 months, but, you know, for me, because I live in an agile world, to me, that's a, that's a forever thing. But they could even be longer than that. But when we look at, you know, agile engage, engagements, they're, like, really fluid, and they're based on this prioritized backlog. What's number one? And there's always only no, one number one. Um, we are open to change. If we want to shift priorities, that's okay, which kind of screws with your SOW if everything is based on milestones and different dates. Um, so it's hard to change priorities. Um, we also have to have great customer trust in this as well because basically now the customer also has to look at us as a supplier and said, okay, I, I feel comf comfortable enough with hiring Dan and Technosis to sit there and help us get through our prioritized backlog and get this work done. You know, we don't always know what the, the, the outcomes are, right? Sometimes we said, well, we're going to provide a resource who, who will help um, support our teams and help them to be better in building a, a cloud-type solution. And, and I'm just throwing that out there, but that is something that, you know, what does that really mean, right? And, and if, if I am a legal mind, well, what, what does that really mean? I need it to be very specific. Now, we do things in very short iterative um, timeframes. So two to three months is really the length of an SOW where we could actually get through this rather quickly. So we're going to move on and talk about challenges of an Agile SOW. And Dan is going to kick in here after I present some of these uh, bullet points. So one of the things as a supplier, I want to avoid as much risk as possible. And we don't want, you know, fixed price agreements. So we, we're heavily focused on time and material. Um, when, you know, there is a fixed SOW, we know that suppliers take on a higher risk, and we really don't want that. Um, we love time and material because it helps to reduce the risk as a supplier, I mean, and it increases the risk to um, the actual customer himself. You know, and, and you, we know that you have to wrangle with, with our legal representatives in the organization because they want very specific things. And oftentimes, we may not be able to give them the exact thing that they're looking for, but we could give them a high-level overview of that. So, Dan, you know, as you're putting an, an Agile SOW together, what are some of the challenges that you face? I think a lot of it determines on the maturity of the organization we're working with who understands and experience with Agile. Those that are more experienced more with traditional waterfall engagements can be a little bit more difficult and takes very much time and a lot of back and forth negotiations and red lines to make sure that they're meeting expectations so that, so that uh, from their perspective, they're minimizing the risk. And that's their job on here. And I think that can be a challenge, right? And it, it, it takes time and a lot of effort to build that relationship and understanding. And then at the end of the day, you know, partnership is the key word that comes to my mind for all those, whether you're working with a mature organization or not. Right? It's, you have that partnership, that clear understanding, and, and like you called it uh, very accurately, that level of trust uh, with the specific buyer and the legal. Nothing is more important than having your own buyer work with you on your side and behalf to help explain to the legal department 
where they have the credibility and help navigate through the, some of those waters and questions to help expedite the SOW. Now, the challenge is this time, too. To your point around the two to three month iterations, that means you're writing a lot of paperwork, even starting it halfway through before you're even done with the, the initial SOW. So the more you can get into that cadence and understanding uh, is very, very important to have that and that working agreement. Excellent. So we, we walk right into developing working agreements. You know, one thing that we can do as we're going through the process of putting a, an SOW together is to start to establish a working agreement, you know, as a team. So what the first thing um, that we, we say is like, can we agree to establish working agreements so that we could establish, we, we don't establish some level of trust between, we don't say we want to establish trust, but we want to get an agreement that we should put something together that this is how we're going to work together to produce an SOW. Um, we have to acknowledge that change is constant and the idea that you could get everything written in, in stone and, and that's never going to change, it's, it's not realistic. So acknowledging that up front as you're working as a supplier-customer relationship, that yeah, change is constant, that's going to happen. And so as you go through this process, you think about, how do we inspect and adapt where we're making changes within the confines of time and money, right? Because those are two very important things so that we could adjust scope, right? To make sure that we're getting the maximum value out of the relationship. Um, and I think it's really critical that as we established a working agreement, we look at what are the beneficial value outcomes Right, and, and I use the two these three words: beneficial, value, and outcomes together, because we want to make sure that whatever is produced benefits both, and it adds value to both. Right, in terms of establishing that working agreement. Um, it, the other thing is is to how do we harmonize um, the economic interests of both right, the supplier and the customer? And I know it's hard because it's, there's always a give and take. And, you know, I have this conversation with, with, with Dan, and, you know, well, hey, you know, this is what we want to pay. This is what we, we, we could afford, and, and this is what you can. So, Dan, you know, quickly in this point, um, you know, think of ways that we could achieve this complementary economic interest that we could harmonize, uh, you know, as a supplier customer. Why don't you give us some feedback on that? Yeah, well, it's always an interesting topic, right? And it can be something that uh, changes depending on how mature your relationship and partnership really is. And when you're trying to understand, you know, new relationships, uh, especially with new SWs uh, from a supplier perspective that I'm often in, right, it's, it's, it's more important to focus on what is the, the, the output that you're looking to achieve, as you stated earlier, right, on there. Instead of focusing on the dollar amount, what is the value looking to you? What 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 does success look look like to the customer? And then once you get that worked out and understood, and then you define that scope, then you have to figure out what are the constraints that they're working on financially. Uh, how do you adjust that? And it's like the old triple constraint, right? You can adjust scope and time and and, and dollars accordingly, but you don't want to compromise quality. So you come to an, an agreement that that. Uh, a win-win from a financial perspective for both, right? And sometimes you have to get creative. Get creative with some investment of consulting time, right, to kind of prove yourself in the beginning. And, and there's other ways to kind of even do some simple like proof of concepts or even come up with a high-level backlog. There's a lot of great creative ways to understand how do you 
flex on that economic interest and, and the financial constraints within the, the customer's budget. Uh, and then, well, obviously, as it matures over time, you can work better together to make sure that each is in a, in, in a happy place uh, and both are successful to establish a very true working partnership. Most excellent, then. Thank you for that feedback. Now, I want to ask this question to the group again. Working agreements help to establish trust and boundaries. Is that true or false? And while, while Denise get our participants to ponder this question, Dan, let's talk about the differences between agile and traditional SOW. Um, in the context of, of, of how do we pretty much work through a, a backlog, a fluid backlog, of information because it, it exists whether we're doing in a traditional or agile practices. You know, what, what do you see the differences between that in, in terms of managing through our backlog? Usually with traditional, you spend a lot more time up front, right? It's a typical, you know, analysis and planning stages where you spend all the time, all sometimes even do an assessment mini SOW just to figure out what the rest of the project is going to look like to, to execute. Uh, along the way and, and manage and control until uh, you finally you know, transition it off. And those are long, longer engagements, like you pointed out. Some could be nine months, 18 months, three years, uh, depending on how, what type of enterprise software solution you often do in my organization. Um, but, but lately, you know, I'm seeing more uh, SOWs and a lot of customers wanting more agile-like, flexible uh, work. Right, and those SOWs can change. Right, but how do you how do you write those SOWs? And what what changes that you you've identified a lot of great points. In addition to that, sometimes you have to have some type of milestones along the way. The more mature organizations are, I see, Dave, is that uh, they like to see just more ceremony based uh, uh, outputs that you want to come uh, be measured against for milestones. Right, those typical ceremonies. That way, you can have a cadence to invoice the, the customers accordingly. Um, but sometimes you want to get, uh, they want a more of a backlog defined ahead of time. So you have to work with them to understand those quote unquote requirements so you can come up at least a high level backlog and estimations to kind of figure out when you're looking to develop. But again, at least elements of flexibility, which is even more important to that element of trust, flexibility into your partnership and working agreement. Thank you, Dan. Hey, Denise, um, what, is, what does um, our participants say today? Ah, I think they're really paying attention today that working agreements help to establish trust and boundaries. They're wonderful things to have. Thank you so much, 98%. Now, let's look at the benefits of an Agile SOW. Um, so one of the good things about, and Dan has talked about this, about pivot and shift based on customer demands, so that we're not stuck going down a certain path. We can come in and and based on our working agreements that we, we can't shift and said, you know, let's, let's, instead of building this screen now, why don't we defer that until later and build this, this UI instead? So you could pivot and shift as needed, you know, based on the needs of the customer. Um, so we could also limit, you know, the amount of risks that are involved. So we could do things as short as one month. You know, one to three months. You know, three months is really the sweet spot. Some organization would want to make it even tighter and have it at two months so that they're mitigating risk as much as possible. 
I mean, customer and suppliers in this regards, you know, we're sharing the risk together, right? Because the, the wonderful thing of this is that the customer says, like, okay, the most that I could be out at any one point in time is is, a, is three months. Also, the same thing with the supplier in terms of their risk and reward is that, you know, I have to produce value every day that I come into my customer, you know, and that's the focus. And, and so that's their sharing in those rewards, but also their risk because sometimes you're not on your A game and you may have to give a little bit more at some point in time to make sure that, you know, we're satisfying the needs of the customer. And, and I, I think one of the things that, that people tend to, to forget is that we could have short value streams. And what those value streams are is nothing more than a definition and, and organization of different activities that we have to engage in to make sure that we could deliver value. So we know from the start to the end, you know, what does it look like to, to really deliver value to our customer? Um, I, I think one of the, the things that we miss out on, and I, I just recently did, a, a, I guess, for one of my earlier presentation, um, talking about get 4x more um, with, with, um, from organizations that are involved with, with um, agile practices, is that we have to be able to articulate the cost of delay. That if we have to wait 18 months to get a value back to um, the customer, and even the customer's customers, I mean, there's a cost for that. And if we could do shorter increments, we, we can begin to get feedback from our customers a lot faster, and we could make the appropriate decisions in terms of pivoting and shifting based on market demands and not just as, as a supplier customer demands. Dan, benefits of, of um, Agile SOW. These are all the key points, David. I think uh, uh, I love the value streams to define, organize, and deliver value. It's all about value, and, and value can be subjective sometimes, and the more you can objectify and quantify it to have uh, quantifiable benefits they can realize and, and measure, and you can help the customer be successful with their leadership, will help, uh, again, with that working agreement and that relationship on here. Uh, if you do limit those uh, SOWs to one to three months, uh, especially in the beginning, uh, that's great. You can kind of test and see how each other work and function. It's no different than any scrum team. It takes a little bit to kind of build that collaborative, safe environment for them uh, to really speak and, and, and shine. Um, but again, the, the number one is being able to pivot, that flexibility to reprioritize as you learn new things. That's where Agile, uh, the whole Agile framework of delivery is, is phenomenal, and that's why it's becoming more and more popular and why so many people are calling into this uh, webinar today. Right? Things change. With the traditional one, you're stuck, right? And you go on down the path, and sometimes success changes, and you can deliver exactly what you committed to in your SW. But over time, you know, sometimes that's not the priority, right? Funding's change, right? So a lot of those projects end up failing. Uh, at least at this one, you can you can pivot, you can change, uh, and and sometimes that does happen. And so you need to have that that big boy conversation with leadership if there is some type of delay. What does that cost mean? Uh, is it is it a, a scope cost where you have to change the, the scope or change the date right on here? You have to figure out where can you flex without compromising quality and have those those conversations of how you, it, it aligns with the bigger picture of the roadmap that you ultimately want to achieve uh, the success throughout not only for the project but for the organization. Most excellent. So as we 
talk about the responsibilities of the customer and the supplier, um, here's a few um, things that I've called out as a customer that we have to be responsible for. Right? Um, so we have to have a, a concise vision and roadmap. Um, oftentimes, people have no idea where they're going, and they're just throwing things together. So as a customer, I need to have a clear vision and a roadmap so I can share that with my supplier and my partner. Um, we have to make sure that we could communicate this in, in a very effective way and so that our supplier has the ability, or, and I, I use supplier and partner interchangeably, so that our partners could have you know, an opportunity to make the right decisions if they want to engage in this, in this SOW in the first place. Um, there should be a shared path um, for a successful partnership. And, and as a customer, I have to establish that. I believe that that's really a, a huge responsibility of the customer um, and, and, and relieve that burden away from the partnership itself in terms of working with the supplier. And, and some, sometimes we are going to have a fixed intent. So I have a fixed amount of work that I need to get done, but there's other things that I may have flexibility. Um, and so that's one of the, the things that we have to work through with, with our partner. It's, you know, look, I, I know that in this time box, we have to get this done. There's, there's no room for change. Now, it's working with that partner, it's like, how do you help me achieve that? I know over here I have a bit more flexibility. So that's what we're talking about in terms of fixed and variable intent. And the intent is the work that we have to produce and the outcomes that we have produced um, as a business itself to, to really adjust to the market itself. Now, we also know that, yeah, the, this responsibility of success is a sheer thing. And it's not, not just based on, you know, I hired you, I paid you this amount of dollars, I expect you to get this done. Yes, that's one part of it. But, but the other part of it is that the customer has to also participate in, in that process to ensure that there's some level of success. So we're going to go on and look at, you know, what about the supplier responsibilities? Right? Um, they need to understand the customer vision and roadmap. Um, we need to go ahead and look at what is the feasibility of this solution intent that I'm, I'm providing. I mean, can I get this done? I mean, can I get it done together with the team? I mean, is the customer able to provide enough resources and time to, to achieve this goal? Um, we also have to look at, 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 we talked about time and material. So there's, we need to understand the resource needs and the duration requirements. If I bring some, an architect in, you know, how long do I need that architect to be on a project? Uh, do I need them for the full duration? Or maybe I just need them, you know, 100% at, at the top, 50% in the middle, and maybe 25% at the end. We have to be able to do that as a supplier. Um, what is the objective, you know, for, and so we can establish this evidence of fitness for use. You know, how useful is the things that we're producing? Um, Dan, as a, as a supplier, um, what are your thoughts in this in terms of responsibilities? Uh, I love what you're saying here. The messages are, are, are completely accurate and relevant. Uh, one of the best scenarios where I like to see where we do establish that, that partnership between the customer and the supplier is not only when we both understand the vision when we're starting off and then even reiterating it along the way and making sure we're all on the same path to the vision, but when uh, I use this kind of phrase in quotes, the skin in the game. 
uh, yeah. when we both have skin in the game and we not only understand the roadmap, but we can we can both, especially as a supplier, can contribute to the roadmap. Maybe even help develop the roadmap, right, and adjust it and make sure uh, it is accurate, the best to our knowledge, right, and, and and address the milestones along the way so we can track the velocity on there. And it has some flexibility with new information that if we have to adjust, pivot, reprioritize, we can do so, but still achieve the end in mind game so we can all be successful together. And that's what's key. And that's what's important really for the long-term relationship and partnership. Okay. And one key thing is, is to make sure that we have it just prioritize backlog and, and and that's also key so as we pivot in you know we think of you know how do we really put this thing together of, of an agile SOW I mean one one approach and and this is where the shared partnership comes in is to use what we call a sprint zero to determine um, a, a, a prioritized backlog and I know Dan you, you kind of alluded to that in terms of the supplier having the need to invest in, in this process and so a sprint normally is two weeks long so we're talking about using two weeks of time to really help to produce that backlog to help flush out that roadmap um, we want us to make sure that the expectation is really appropriate as we're going through and we're looking at this backlog, now we have tangible things that we could look at and said, look, we, we could lay out at least maybe two to three sprints or more or even longer if we spent two weeks up front prioritizing what's important to our customers and, and the our customers' market. And, and so I think that it's really important for us to build out value-focused metrics as we're going through and setting up an SOW. And I like to measure at a feature level. I know some people in the Agile space like to measure at a story level and, and think about predictability. I think predictability is understood over time based on the work that we're doing. I like to measure at a feature level. That's what I could. That's something that we could take to the customer. And so that's one of the things that you know I think is really, really important, really key that those value metrics are at a level where everyone in the organization can really understand and get a, a, a good, clear picture of where you're going and how that relates back to the roadmap. But also, it's to partner and, and have realistic goals of, of trying to make sure that there's this give and take in, in, in this relationship that we're building. You know, and one thing that could also help, and I know, Dan, you, you hang out at, our, um, at one of our two-day big room planning. I think that also is, is another great, experience where we could begin to understand at a, at a three-month level, you know, what level of work needs to be done. And and part of that is also as we build these SOW, is that we begin to educate our customers so they can start having this lean thinking, value streams, eliminate waste, you know, think about flow, and we can start to educate our customers about agile practices. Um, you know, any thoughts, Dan, about the anatomy of an Agile SOW? Yeah, it evolves, right? It depends how, again, back to how mature the organization you're working with or in is, right? In some experiences, and Dave, you have the pleasure of doing this uh, directly and influencing and actually leading it, is uh, in, when you scale. That's one of the topics uh, I know we'll probably elaborate on, but when you scale, things change a little bit, right? You've got multiple work streams, you've got other departments and dependencies you have to expose, and so it is a, 
a very beautiful experience when you do it successfully in those, those multi-day planning sessions from different departments and leadership can kind of can see the bigger picture together and kind of see how it aligns to the roadmap and influence to some degree on there. And it's an opportunity for everyone to hear it at once at the same time, the single source of messaging, so there's not any confusion of misinterpretation and questions can be asked. And that, I think if you do it effectively, that can be great to uh, align your vision appropriately and, and maybe change and enhance some of the SOW milestones you're committing to, especially if you don't have the luxury to go towards a, a committed time and materials SOW if you have to do fixed fee. At least it helps eliminate some of the risk because you are kind of defining some of the, the, the backlog as you go and you can provide the estimates accordingly. Yeah, that, that's true. I mean, I've worked at a large org, a large organization where we, at the end of our two-day, a big room planning where we have these cross-functional teams, we would sit with our, our partner and lay out our SOW for the next quarter. So in that way, we know everyone was on the same page in terms of what was on, on the roadmap and what the deliverables are and the, the expected outcomes. Okay, let's talk about how would a Sprint Zero help define an Agile SOW? So would it be A, create a prioritized backlog, B, ensure zero impediments, C, synchronize multiple teams, D, guarantees a successful Agile project? What do you guys think? And wh while our, you know, our audience is out there noodling on this, Dan, um, I mean, let, let's, let, let's talk about how does Sprint Zero, and, and I know sometimes it's new to some people, how does Sprint Zero really help us with, with prioritizing work? Well, Sprint Zero is uh, foundational, right? And it helps get everyone on the same page. It helps even start aligning some of the, the, the features to your point on here, which is great, right, to kind of understand what is it you're trying to achieve and, and what it helps you also lay out with some high-level t-shirt size estimating and figure out what you can accomplish in that two to three month, maybe quarterly uh, commitment. Uh, and, and it helps uh, bring things into reality. So the Sprint Zero is very informative in so many ways to kind of figure out what is it you're going to commit to over the next iteration. Uh, and, and is that something that's, to your point earlier, Dave, is, is it realistic? And you talk it through, right, uh, on here. And I think that helps level set and make sure that you are moving to the right velocity and experience to the right prioritized backlog of items as well because you've thought through it together as a partnership with, with the supplier and the customer together. It can be very advantageous throughout the health of the, the project and, of course, the success of achieving the vision that you're ultimately committing to and agreeing to. Excellent. So, Denise, what say our audience today? Ah, majority says A, create a prioritized product backlog. And that's true. So that's what we use Sprint Zero to do is help us to establish a backlog, especially when things are really fluid. And, and usually you would only use that at the beginning of a, a, an engagement. Um, it's not something that you should use very often uh, because after you get through the first one and, and the first three months, you should at least have a, a, some type of a cadence where you can begin to establish backlogs going forward. So let's just keep going. So in summary, before we get to, to some questions, um, 
I want to let you know that, yes, Agile SOW do have help to limit risk, and we could use shorter durations to help us to achieve that. And customers and, and, and suppliers, you know, they share risk and rewards together, which is a, is a beautiful thing. Um, they also have the, the shared amount of responsibilities for success. So it's, it, it isn't like you set up an SOW, hey, supplier, go build this, and you check out. You have to be engaged. You have to, you know, frequently check in um, with your supplier and see what's going on. And we have to have this shared and, and this desired path for a successful partnership. Uh, because at the end of the day, you know, that's one of the key factors that help us to be, you know, really successful. So, Dan, um, in terms of summary, I mean, what do you want to, in about a minute or so, um, what do we want to you wrap up here as a summary, you know, from your context? My context from a supplier perspective, working with the customer, uh, the more quickly you can develop that kinks of communications to establish that relationship right up from the beginning along the way, to establish trust. Uh, and really continuously building and strengthening that partnership is, is critical to success, right? That's why Dave and I meet on a regular basis to kind of talk about the health of the project and the team, right? Make not only our team, but his team, and kind of get that feedback. That continuous feedback loop is important and in so many ways, right? So we understand how we can better work together. And as a supplier, we always want to continuously improve as well. Uh, how do we continue to add value and uh, you know, maybe expedite success and celebrate those wins and milestones along the way, right? Because our customer success uh, is our success, right? So we're help, right? oftentimes behind the scenes, uh, and we can be those humbled servant leaders along the way to, to help, again, ha share some of those risks, yes, but, but minimize those risks through that collaboration and the partnership that we were establishing, and then more importantly, celebrate those, those rewards, those successful milestones together to have that fruitful relationship. And once you get into that cadence, uh, from a uh, supplier perspective, we want to aim to uh, expand and, and lengthen those, those SOW durations. And hopefully once that trust is established, not only with the customer and, and, and initial buyer, but also with the legal and procurement and vendor management offices where they exist so you can have a longer term SOW so it's less paperwork. We're not focusing on that, but more focusing on delivering successful results for all of our customers. Excellent. So, uh, Denise, we have about 12 minutes. And so in terms of questions and, and our wrap-up, um, let's see if we can get some questions from our attendees and um, we could provide some feedback for them. All right. So, um I'll start with the first one. Could you please articulate examples of specific customer benefits? Well, customer benefits, well, as a customer, I mean, one simple thing is that I, I talk about risk. And we, you, you, if you walk through this presentation, you would see the words risk in there frequently. And the thing is, is the benefit with shorter durations gives us an opportunity to inspect and adapt, to pivot, to shift out of, you know, a bad situation or to avoid going down the wrong path. Um, so to me, clearly as, as a customer, 
on that side, I mean, that's one of the things that I want to do because basically we want to, to reduce waste. If I'm building the wrong thing and I don't discover that until nine months, 18 months down the road, you know, I have wasted hundreds of thousands, even millions of dollars, you know, on an engagement where that, you know, really impacts the stakeholders and shareholders of the organization. And, and for me as an employee of an organization, I want to avoid that at all costs. So shorter durations, that's a clear benefit that we can mitigate risk, we could increase value, and we could drive a stronger partnership, you know, from a customer context. And I'll give the next question to Dan. Uh, how can this reduce risk for both at the same time? So I, I'll pass that on to Dan so we can share in the, in the burden. Great. How do we reduce risk for both at the same time? Uh, again, through open collaboration, if you take some of the approaches that, that Dave had articulated uh, initially where you can invest in a sprint zero to, to determine high-level business value, all right, so both agree what the top priorities are, what the business value you're going to deliver, and how do you have, I'll tie into the last question, quantifiable benefits along the way that, that you can measure uh, progress along the way and make sure you achieve and maybe even surpass them, that, that, that's huge. Right? In eliminating risk, you always want to manage the risk and mitigate them along the way. There's risk in the beginning of the project, the risk that you're going to identify and expose during the project. And then, of course, hopefully by the end of the time, uh, you've, you've mitigated and addressed all those uh, for, for the customer and supplier and for the project in itself. Right? And obviously, you want to get ahead of it before any uh, risks are escalated into issues on there. And that goes with, with great management. The Scrum Master can help you through that, out that. There's some project management fundamentals if you need to kind of manage those along the way. Absolutely key. But again, address them on a, on a regular basis with the team openly and escalate them to your product owner or the sponsors of the project. Uh, as long as you have that safe, trusted uh, environment that you've established those working agreements with, uh, it should be a fruitful and beneficial conversation. If you don't, Right then, those issues could be escalating to the excuse me risk escalating issues. Then you have a different conversation that's not so pleasant, right? And the key is to, to establish that partnership so you do have that level of trust to talk about openly and figure them out collaboratively. So you do have a healthy relationship throughout the life of the project and the life of the the relationship with the supplier and the customer. Awesome, thank you. Um, and can you please um, kind of summarize the top three takeaways from today's presentation? Um, the top three, and I think I kind of summarized them uh, before in, in terms of, uh, of of our summary. I would say, you know, we we. we Dan brought up risk, and I, I keep bringing up risk, um, is that we, we want to make sure that we could limit risk by using shorter durations. Um, make sure that the responsibilities uh, and for success and the rewards and also the risk is a shared thing between the supplier and the customers. And I think the last thing is, is we have to establish and share in this desired path for successful partnership. Because that's what's really going to uh, will allow you to have this long-term relationship that I could pick up the phone or send Dan a text and said, "Hey, 
I, I have the situation. I, I need your support to help us become successful in this. Dan understands what that looks like. He could participate in that. And that, to me, are, are the top three things that we look at. You know, shorter durations, limit risk, build that that um, that shared um, value in, in in terms of engaging around what success looks like, and 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 really just sharing out of our partnership. So, Dan, give us a minute in terms of how what how would you summarize the top three? Um, you know, in terms of a takeaway from this presentation. Yeah, that's important, and I think it all starts in the beginning with your relationship between the customer and supplier, right? One of the key takeaways is, is, you know, what is the maturity of the organization? What's the level of trust that you already have established? Is it new a relationship or is it a mature relationship? Uh, you know, and then it, it boils down to the type of SW that we talked about right in the beginning, Dave, right? Yep. Uh, the, tr the, the time and material ones, uh, SOWs, allow some flexibility, right? You, 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 there's less risk, especially from the supplier perspective on there. And as long as the communications are transparent and frequent along uh, your velocity of the, the team, then uh, you can minimize risk from both sides, especially from the customer perspective. The fixed fees, right, there's a different conversation, right? The, the sprint zeros become a little bit more important because you want to minimize as much as possible the risk from a supplier perspective. So I do uh, believe that the, the key uh, high-level points that they've made around the partnership, right, minimizing risks and, and understanding responsibilities are, are very important. Uh, the durations, right, the, those, you know, the shorter durations in the beginning, so you understand you can kind of pivot and reprioritize, great, especially if you're a fixed fee, that's fairly important. Then as you build that relationship, those durations hopefully will expand and get a little bit longer, six months, even 12 months. We've been right a lot. 12 months south in an agile environment because they like what we've delivered. Uh, it's less paperwork we have to manage, and then it's more with the least procurement. And then we manage the, the paperwork to justify the benefits, the value we're delivering along the way, right? And have those conversations. And sometimes if we have to change skill sets of team members, uh, depending on where we are in the life of the roadmap, we'll do so. But in the three takeaways is keyly to determine what is the maturity of the organization in terms of agile what type of SOW is going to be needed, and that will uh, impact the duration, of course. But at the end of the day, right, uh, anything successful has to be relied on the foundation of your partnership. How strong is it? Do you have the trust and flexibility to need so you have that open, fluid communications like Dave and I are establishing? Yeah, so uh, great feedback. Um, we have four minutes uh, as a managing time to make sure that we, we hit our, our target of, of doing a wrap-up. Um, check out nalshare.org. So you could, um, if you want to learn more about Agile practices, I have a blog out there. Most of the, you know, these presentations are also augmented um, for us to sit there and have dialogue after this webinar is done. Um, if you guys are really interested, I'm putting out a bunch of leadership cards. Uh, we have one, uh, uh, like two sets that, that are already out there in the market. Um, if you want to, we're allowing people to participate and create your own cards, um, you know, where you could have your name on there, you could have your contact information. And so I've thrown some stuff like that together, which is, um, it's nothing more than you could use those things for having, op having open dialogue with your leaders, having dialogue as, uh, as a team. So it's a great resource and, and a tool. So 
Um, if you're really interested, go out to agilityleadership.com and you could sign up. Um, it just costs a little bit of dollars to participate in it. So I think you guys will, I hope all of the people who are participating in this webinar will get out there. Um, we only have 54 slots, so get involved if, you, if you're very interested in that. Um, I, my book um, is out on Amazon. It's called Transforming Your Leadership Character, The Lean Thinking and Agility Way. I also have the game, Agility Leadership, that's out there that um, you could use to engage your teams. And if you really wanted to strengthen your leadership character, um, look at how we could do that with lean thinking and, and agile practices. Uh, this Saturday, I'm just letting you guys know, we kick off our, our five Saturdays um, learning facilitator workshop where we teach professionals um, how to help students learn agile technology and business. Um, if you wanted to contribute um, to that, just go to www.thenumber5saturdays.org and you can contribute to, um, to that event and that stuff that we have going on, um, this charitable um, opportunity. We're a nonprofit, so get involved. Um, I also do a podcast. I interview a lot of different people um, from different parts of the industry. Um, you can get out to grokshare.com and learn more. And so if you want to reach out to me, fire me up at Twitter at, at Nalshare or um, email customercare at nalshare.org or even you can get on our website and you can send us some information. Hey, um, coming up next month, June 22nd, we're going to have another webinar and we're talking about our Agile teams together forever. And, and that's a very interesting topic because most people believe that they are. And hopefully um, we'll have an, a panelist who will also share their context on that. That's all we have for you today. Um, thank you, Dave and Dan, for joining us. Um, it was a great session today. You guys got a lot of kudos from um, our audience. So um, thank you so much. And, uh, thank have a you. Good you too, Denise. You have a great one. And thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dave, for having me on again. I appreciate it. Thank you all. Yep. Look for the Nalshare with Dr. Dave podcast on iTunes and Google Play. The Nalshare with Dr. Dave podcast is hosted on grokshare.com. If you have any questions for Dr. Dave, reach out on Twitter at drdaveinfo or at Nalshare. This podcast an interview produced by Dr. Dave Cornelius. Copyright 2017. Nal share. Dr. Dave. Nal share with Dr. Dave. Nal share with Dr. Dave.